pain is some serious business. It ain't everyone who knows what to do about it. Now I hear there's a podcast just about this. It doesn't talk of pain alone, but other interesting things distracting the mind from it. So I suggest you tune in to Outsmart the Pain and listen to what Karsten has to say about it. Get ahead. Get it done. Listen to the podcast and maybe change your life or someone else's. I have the great, great pleasure to talk with you, Johan Dahlene. A talent with radiant power on his Stradivarius from 1736. He cuts like a knife through butter. I actually read that in a, a paper after a concert, I think. And before we start talking about all different things, I really must ask you, playing on a Stradivarius, is that just like a cool thing? Or is it actually a better sound in an instrument being almost 300 years old? That's a great question. <laughs> I, I love this violin. It's a Stradivarius from 1736. It's actually quite old um, for being a Strad because we died only a year later or something like this. I borrowed this violin from a Norwegian foundation called Anders Svios, Almenyttia Fond. Um, and they are, of course, super, super generous and uh, great. Uh, you didn't have to pay. Fortunately not. <laughs> a lot of people love them and, and, uh, and so, but, uh, but you know, some people might prefer playing on other instruments than strats. Some people might even prefer to play on modern violins. The strat is, is a special kind of feeling. If you would describe the, the strat sound in maybe the common Stradivarius, it would be very, very powerful, but also quite uh, light sound and maybe not uh, so dark in the lower registers. Of course, it has all of those qualities as well. So it's not better or worse to play on the Stradivarius. It's just like a personal feeling. I think maybe the majority of the people would say that uh, it's definitely a better feeling. There's a very real difference. You can even look at the violin and you can see like a difference. It, it really looks um, beautiful. <laughs> for, for me, the difference with these great violins is, of course, the projection of the sound. You can reach every single row of, of audiences in the concert hall. It, it will sound clear and you can play really soft dynamics. There are a lot of more different sound colors that you can find. There are so many things that you can find with these violins. I, I remember when I, when I started playing this violin, that it was also a bit of a challenge. You know, it's like a wild beast. Wild beast or something that you have to learn how to do it. It took some time for me, but I, I feel like yeah, we're we're getting there. <laughs> so we actually learned something already. We should call it a strad. Then we sound kind of professional. It's a strad. Okay, thanks. So um, I guess you have changed strings on your strad uh, since 1736, and I wonder if you like tennis players use different strings. I know that they uh, use different ones depending on how they want to play their game. Uh, do you change strings when you play different pieces or how does it work? There are many different options of strings. 
now I only use the same ones. I change it up maybe once a month or even more frequently than that. So is it because they are worn out or that you want another quality of sound? Of course they get worn out, but uh, after a month they are not worn out, but it's just great to, to get fresh strings. Everything new is nice, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Apart from a strad that should be old. Except for except for the violins. <laughs> Okay, so um, I will actually read some quotes that I've seen in the media about you. Um, I know you said something about softer dynamics uh, earlier, and that goes quite well with uh, this one. Dalene is a virtuoso, but Nordic Rhapsody is not recorded to impress. Dalene lets the violin speak low, he prioritizes phrasing over shiny sound, and he engages in dialogue with the piano. It is a rarity to hear from such a young musician. Dalene is a storyteller. He plays with its heart, and in these moments, he has the listener in his hand. I've also uh, seen something like this. Uh, a shining talent. He never ceases to amaze. The album opens with a hailstorm of fast black violin notes, which Dalene turns into the lightest of snowflakes, but still with the energy and wildness of the storm. The performer's complete loyalty to what they are performing is in no doubt from the first to the last minute of this outstanding album. And it just continues like this. I, I don't really have the time to read all of it because then this pod session would be finished. Um, but I mean, it's not the local newspaper saying this. It's, it's all over the world. It's America, it's Europe, BBC Music. Uh, you have become editor's choice list of uh, gramophone, uh, chamber music of the month uh, within... BBC Music ma Magazine, um, you got recommended in American Record Guide, uh, Editor's Choice List, Chamber Music, uh, Chamber Choice of the Month, CD of the Week, Gramophone Classical Music Awards Shortlist 2021, uh, you have been nominated to, um, and it just goes on. And it really amazes me how how you got this far you're very young how how old are you I, I can't hear that in this pod i'm 21 years old so 21 years old and with a very impressive resume um but apart from all this at 21 years tell us about yourself who are you really well well thank you um right <laughs> i'm 21 years old and was born in uh, in a small place outside of North Shopping um, called Sverting. <laughs> and uh, I grew up there for the first eight years of my life. Then we moved to North Shopping, and five years ago I, I moved to Stockholm and I've been here ever since. And I, I love Stockholm. I have a lot of friends here and uh, yeah, I just, I just love it here. So I, mm. I, I can see myself staying here. Definitely. I'm half Norwegian because my dad's Norwegian. Unfortunately, I never learned to speak uh, Norwegian, though. 
Gar og berg ut med havet, hever nordmannen fenget sin heim. I could always understand my cousins and they can understand me when we when we spoke to each other. I guess maybe it's never too late to, to learn it either way. I know that we Swedes um, used to make fun of the Norwegians and the Norwegians make fun of us. So it must be a, a special relationship when you and your dad tell jokes to each other. It's a love-hate love relationship. So we understand that music is really a big part of your life. But how were you introduced to music and, and especially classical music? I guess that's not very common for children to become acquainted with classical music. That's that's very true. You know, I um, I grew up with music in my in my home, really. Uh, I don't have any siblings, but both my parents are musicians. Um, so my mom's a pianist and my dad's a cellist. Um, and I remember that I, you know, at a very young age, I, I was very interested, especially in uh, in my father's cell playing. When he was practicing, I was uh, a little guy, you know, just... Uh, walking around and disturbing him and, and, and listening and wanted to play uh, the same instrument as dad did. And I was very, very interested. My parents, they were like, it, it would be nice if he tried the cello maybe later on, play something else before. If he wants to play the cello later on, he could, he could try it. But I was only four years old at that time. It's quite early. My dad told me that, okay, but you know, try the violin if you want to play something. Try the violin for for a while and if you want to switch to cello after a year you can definitely do that i did try it and then i of course wanted to to keep on playing that and i was very interested in, in the instrument as at least for the first you know few years and uh, the violin teacher in my hometown was super good she was really really great and of course i had my periods uh, where i uh, wanted to do other things I guess then maybe from the age of uh, like 13, 14 is when I started to to practice uh, for real. <laughs> like It sounds like some kind of aspiring interest, but no one really forced you to practice a lot from the age of four. It was just, you know, checking out the instrument and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Of course, you know, I had like violin homework that I had to had to do and uh, uh, was practicing with my parents. It was only for like 20 minutes a day at, at that, which was very, very, very good. And, and it was like a homework really that had to be done. <laughs> but I always, I, always enjoy, I always enjoyed it anyway. So it's nothing that really comes to you automatically. You have to work for it to become better. Yes, definitely. I, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, with, uh, as with everything in, in life, uh, one has to work hard to, to get somewhere. If I would ask what made you so successful, would you say it's your genes, you know, coming down from your parents or is it actually practicing or what is it? I mean, it's a bit weird talking, you know, about yourself as being, as being successful. I mean, I, I uh, have a lot of, I, I believe that, you know, every, everyone is definitely talented in, in, in something. And I guess maybe this was, this was, um, the thing that I, I'm maybe a bit a bit talented in. I must admire the way you are looking at yourself uh, and not trying to brag about all this, because it it can't be easy to have all this success. But I will rephrase it. Um, since you can hold a violin in your hands <laughs> and have some musicality, I think it's. 
definitely, you know, a lot of hours of, of work that, that one one puts in just practicing the instrument and also knowing how to practice. I was listening to, to a lot of different violinists. For instance, every year we went to Norway uh, to see uh, our relatives on my, on my father's side. And then in the car, you know, we would have this CDs by Maxim Wenger, who is a you know, fantastic Russian violinist. And he was like my, my biggest idol growing up. <laughs> We will listen to that a lot and, and also see this of, you know, David Oistrak and, and stuff like that. And I've had a fantastic teacher, uh, both growing up and, and also after the last 10 years, I played for, uh, Perry and Oxon, who is like a, uh, teacher here at the, in, in Stockholm at the Royal Academy and also a concertmaster in, in Gothenburg. And he, he is fantastic. And, uh, knows you know really really everything about the instrument and uh, i think i always wanted to do something uh, creative uh, of course uh, it's this great piece by this great composer and you want to do to do it justice and do what the composer says says but you also want to make it your own kind of looking at what's what's written and then making it your own music and um, having the feeling that it's your own thing kind of that you that you're doing and, and that you're playing. So you haven't actually said anything about genes, uh, the DNA, uh, but if someone comes up to you and says, uh, or to your parents and says, oh, how lucky you have to, to have such a great talent. What is your answer to that one? Be because you actually hear that a lot, that you're so lucky that you were born with these genes or it must be your grandparents or any ancestry coming down? Right. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a lot of friends that I know are super talented and some people seems to to not have to practice as much as others have to. I personally feel that, that I have to practice quite quite a lot myself. Some people also have a photographic memory. Look at, for example, music, <laughs> like scan the music and then you know it, you know, by heart. I mean, I, I don't have that and... Um, but I, I definitely believe that, that practice is, is definitely the, the biggest part. There are like two quotes I really like. The, the first one is actually from Bach. Who said something like, If someone puts as much time as I do into music, they can become as good as I am. And, and that must be very humble coming from someone like Bach, who is like one of the greatest composers in in our time. And the second one is a little bit later. It's actually a, a very famous slalom skier in Sweden called Ingemar Stenmark, who was a great performer some years ago. A reporter asked him that he was so lucky to win. And uh, Ingemar answered, you know, it's so funny. The more I practice, the more lucky I get. <laughs> Another thing is our world champion in uh, pole vault, Duplantis, who competes for Sweden. It's not like he is so talented that he doesn't have to practice. I mean, he practices all the time. We have seen pictures of him jumping in his back garden when he was a little kid. Everyone understands that he really needs the practice to become better. But when it comes to classical artists, sometimes people think that you were kind of born with it. 
what you're saying is that you really, really need to practice as well, don't you? Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. <laughs> If you're listening to this pod right now and ask yourself, when are they ever going to talk about pain? Well, like someone says in the beginning, It doesn't talk of pain alone, but other interesting things distracting the mind from it. So this is typical uh, a subject that could interest a lot of people going into the classical world of a very young, talented artist. And maybe we won't speak much about pain at all. So, you one, don't feel pressured having to talk about pain. <laughs> but thinking about pain, or at, at least not getting pain, do you do any special exercises for your fingers to avoid injuries or pain? I mean, are you more careful with your hands than any other people would be? Yeah, you know, I, I guess I guess I'm a bit, probably a bit more careful about my hands <laughs> than, than uh, normal people, if you would. Let's, let's phrase it, exercises. I know musicians that, that do different kinds of, of exercises, including my dad, actually, but he, but he had an injury in his shoulder a few years ago. So he, he has to warm up his body a bit and do, do all of these kinds of exercises. What I do is I, I warm up, you know, a bit before I play. I, I play some stove stuff and I start. I, I always practice very, very slowly, but uh, uh, especially I, I think about that in the, in the beginning, I guess. I also try to... To do some sort of, uh, you know, physical activity during the week as well. Mm. To, I, I remember when I was uh, only 15 and I was practicing. I, I just recently started practicing a lot, and uh, I remember it was in the summer, and uh, I was practicing a lot of hours uh, every day. And and then uh, one day I, I felt, you know, a bit of pain in my neck. I didn't think anything of it, and then it it continued for a few days, and then I I just went out and I I ran, you know, I took a took a light jog, <laughs> uh, and then it was gone, completely gone. It was quite crazy. I definitely believe that in this profession, so much sitting and and standing still, and I I believe it, it's it's probably a good idea to try to take care of of yourself a bit. And <laughs> I think I've heard that some artists take a special insurance of their hands if they're playing an instrument have you insured your hands separately from the rest of your insurance policies no i actually don't i actually don't do that uh, i mean uh, <laughs> uh, I, i've been asked that question a lot actually and uh, mm -hmm. i know people that that do but uh, yeah i <laughs> haven't gotten, gotten around to it okay what about your typical day if you're not having a concert maybe how does a typical day look for you I don't go to a school anymore, so I, I only have private lessons. I miss going to school uh, a bit and meeting other young, fantastic players, but I have a lot of great friends I try to hang out with when I'm at home. If I'm free, I'll be practicing during the day and maybe I, I go exercise also if, that's, if there's time. <laughs> Otherwise, if I'm traveling, the days look really, really different from, from one another. It also depends if it's a concert day or if it's rehearsal, rehearsal day, depending on what I'm playing and practicing. It's always a priority, really. Do you have like a certain amount of hours that you really need to practice every day or do you do it like a feeling that what you need each day? 
yeah, I mean, I, I to make it easier, you know, for for the mind and and stuff. I try to focus on a on a few hours every day. I mean, it could range from three to maybe five or or more. It depends. Also, if I if I rehearse on that day, or of course, if it's if it's a concert day, I try to practice less. Of course, um, I don't want to to die <laughs> on the concert day, um, but. Uh, yeah, hmm. I mean, the, the days can, can look really, really different. Back to the parallel with athletes. I know that a lot of top athletes do a lot of strange things before they jump or run or whatever, that they have a procedure. Do you have any special things you really need to do before a performance? <laughs> I mean, it's 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 funny. I don't have any sort of extremely special things that I do. I, I try to eat something small before going on stage like maybe half an hour before sorry so on the concert day i i don't have any you know special routines or anything like like super 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 special it sounds like you're quite normal you don't run around or doing some strange things with your arms or anything before you have a performance i try to practice uh, some places um slowly always i i that, that's probably my my ritual that i that i want to go through the piece uh, in my mind and I do some things slowly I think about it <laughs> before going on stage if you play with an orchestra usually there's a general rehearsal in the morning and then you are free until the evening so it's actually quite a nice thing after the general rehearsal I usually for, for a few hours I, I go I try to think of it like I have a concert today I have to take it easy <laughs> you know and that's a good yeah. excuse also for you know watching Netflix maybe reading something and and just chilling sleeping maybe and then a few, uh, maybe two hours before or something like that, I, I start uh, practicing. <laughs> so I, I always have the same routine, kind of. Uh, I don't think you're allowed to say good luck to someone who will perform uh, because of bad luck. Is that true to you as well, that you shouldn't say good luck before you are performing? I never heard of this, actually. Everyone always says good luck and, and stuff like this. I always find it's, it's super nice. <laughs> so keep on saying it. Well, it doesn't look like you had any bad luck so far. I don't believe so much in <laughs> Did anything happen during a concert or practice or anything that now afterwards you can think of being hilarious or funny or just strange? Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Many, many things. I mean, except for playing out of tune or wrong notes or anything like that. I, I guess uh, one of the things that happened to me recently was uh, a string broke during the final piece. I had to run out and... Uh, it was it was a concert with piano, so it, it wasn't really an issue. But I, I had to run out and you know put the new string on. It only happened to me once before, but then I couldn't couldn't really change it. But now I changed it. You know, the thing with with strings is that uh, if you put like a new one on or the intonation of the string for the first uh, few hours that you play it or or for a few days, it will go down. Uh, it will get out of tune immediately. So I remember playing that playing that last piece on this new string and that oh. Sh you know, shit, it's the string, it's going down. The Titanic string has been attached to the Strad. I know that in, in Mozart's time, uh, it was almost like a jazz club when you listen to classical music that whenever you thought that someone was playing something very well you started applauding whenever that happened uh, nowadays you should be very quiet 
stopped i think during a performance and you shouldn't clap until you know between uh, movements or or whatever if you're not very used to classical music and go to a concert uh, you are afraid that you will do something wrong i guess also if someone has a phone that starts ringing i understand that the performance can be very very distracted what about you do you get very irritated when people clap at the wrong place or having a phone that's calling i think it's a bit of both for example like people clapping between movements and stuff like this it, it just shows what you're doing is appreciated but i mean and, and that's super super nice maybe some people think it's disturbing that people tap between the movements i i don't really mind it as long as uh, it doesn't destroy the music if there's like a transition between the movements and phones and stuff ringing <laughs> it can always happen and it it actually happened not not in a in a concert but, but in a master class i it happened to me you know both when, when playing myself and when listening to to others also so i remember playing in a master class i was like oh you know who is this uh Whose phone is this? You know, oh, why can't they learn? You know, just to to uh, put the sound off or something. And then it was actually my own my own phone <laughs> that was ringing. But uh, if you're you're in these really magic places in the music, it it, it can really disturb <laughs> disturb the music. Um, of course, people have to cough, but the phone ringing can really disturb the whole atmosphere because there are these moments when you when you play, which is also such a magical thing about going to a classical concert when you're playing something really soft and it feels like everyone is at the edge of their seat and and really listening i don't want to sound like a grumpy old man also but uh, it's human behavior someone will forget to to uh, turn off their phone and so everyone out there make sure to turn off your phones but if you cough that's okay if you clap in the wrong place it's also okay if you're enjoying it yeah that, that sounds that sounds great <laughs> Believe it or not, I sang in a choir some time ago. They are much better off now, I think. But I remember hearing sometimes that being a soloist, you couldn't really sing in a choir because your voice stood out too much uh, compared to the other ones in the choir. If that's true, I don't know. But, but do you think that goes for instrumentalists as well? Are you like banned from playing in an orchestra? That's a funny, funny question. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's true in many cases. One of the big things you want to achieve is that you want to produce a nice, big, healthy sound. For example, um, one of the greatest violinists of, of our time, Janine Janssen, who is a personal favorite of, of mine, she can play so amazing you know solo concertos with with orchestra and she has this amazing sound which is super personal and, and unique and and also very big and it projects it's just such an amazing sound but then she's also able to play chamber music so well she doesn't really care about uh, being heard i'm listening to her play second violin in a piece uh for piano quintet is that she she wants to to serve the music and she does that also in a very personal way of playing but she doesn't uh, want to be the star so even if there is uh, something called playing a second violin that could really be a good thing for her she knows exactly how to do that yes exactly exactly and she can really do do anything it sounds like janine jensen is one of your favorite violinists out there are there any other artists that you really enjoy that are your personal favorites Definitely, I have a lot of, of people that I that I look up to. There's this Canadian violinist uh, James Ennis, who I feel 
in, in a different way. I, I love his playing. There are so many people. I also like David Oistrak a lot, uh, the legendary guy um, who is not who is not alive anymore. I love his his recording and uh, and sound. And it's actually quite funny. I'm playing a sonata by by Swedish composer Stenhammer, who is a great great composer. And and I was I was looking for recordings of this piece um, before playing it just to to listen to it, and I couldn't find so many at all. But <laughs> actually, there's a recording of David Oistrak. When he was in Sweden um, playing with, with a legendary Swedish pianist who, who, whose name I, I unfortunately cannot remember. It's just fantastic to, to hear him play this, this Swedish music. And of course, also my teacher, Per Enoxson, has, has also been a big uh, inspiration for me, both in, in, his, in, in his violin playing and, and in, in other ways as well. Yeah. You mentioned Stenhammar and it's a 150-year anniversary this year, if I'm right. Uh, so, do you have any other favorite composers out there as well? You know, I, I actually don't. I, I there's just it's, it's just so hard to say. Of course, Bach is is just absolutely fantastic, and and Brahms and Tchaikovsky, and I guess it's more about the pieces for me rather than than the composer it, itself. If I had to say someone, maybe maybe Bach, but. Uh, also Beethoven, Mozart, there's just so much mm. great music, especially maybe for violin. It's just so much. Mm. I, I enjoy a lot of, of different repertoire from, from different times. and uh, mm. Contemporary music also. I mean, it depends on the, on the piece, but um, yeah. If someone is not used to this type of music and wants to start listening, are there any pieces you would suggest, you know, that, that, they, that are good? Something that's... I shouldn't say easy, but you know, something you would like to start with. That's a very good question. Maybe something famous, like a very famous classical piece, like, uh, I don't know, like, <laughs> yeah, Vivaldi, so that, that's or something like that, or maybe something like Mendelssohn Concerto E, e minor, just a perfect free movement uh, concerto, also structured like a first movement and, and then a, a slow second movement and then a faster mm. last movement. I, I think Vivaldi and, uh, and Mendelssohn concerto, maybe. We will put up a small list of uh, suggested pieces on my website, karstenalbeck.com in due time. And you can surf into that one if you're listening to this and get some good advice on uh, which pieces to start listening to if you're interested in exploring the world of classical music. So when you're practicing, could we just hear a short glimpse of something you practice just for a few seconds? Of course, definitely. That's very nice. Couldn't hear any Titanic string there, no? We hear a lot of interesting things and maybe you think that I don't remember everything and do I need to listen to this many times. I do take episodes and think about my 
own thoughts about our conversation and uh, I would really suggest that you listen to that. It comes one week after the episode and I will tell you in conclusion what we talked about and what I think about it. So head on to that episode when you can. On a more serious note, in what way do you see the future of classical music in society right now? What will it look like in like 50 years? Is it dying or thriving? I, I think the, the future is really bright, actually. There are so many young players. I, f- I think the interest will always remain. I, I guess there's a reason that music from the, like the 18th century or even further back, you know, is still being played today. You know, there must be a reason behind that. Yeah, I feel it, it's very bright. There are also a lot of, you know, people interested in, in composing. I'm positive. But of course, we have to have support for this musical genre also. Um, there has to be promotion for, for concerts. There has to be concerts happening. There has to be an, an interest in the cultural life. But, but also, there's a responsibility. I guess a lot of people aren't interested in, in classical music because they haven't experienced it. <laughs> they haven't mm. gone to a concert. And it's the same w- with me in, in a lot of other areas. Uh, I brought a friend a few years ago who is not a you know, interesting in classical music at, at all to, to a classical music concert. And he was very positively surprised by it. I, I remember one, one time playing in Indonesia, which was uh, quite a surreal experience in every way. But, but I remember in the audience, the majority of the people who were there were actually very young people. <laughs> it, was, mm. it was really, um, it's really cool. Um, yeah. And after the concert, I mean, I, I almost felt like, you know, a, a pop star almost or something like this because th- there was like a green room chat thing and there were so many young people that wanted to to talk and uh, take take photos. I've been very, very lucky about getting opportunities to to play concerts. That's really also what, what drives one as a, as a person and musician that you want to work harder is, you know, getting these, these real opportunities um, to play, for example... Um, in front of an orchestra and uh, and that's may- maybe one one thing that i that i think that we could maybe do better here uh, is that uh, i think more young people should uh, should get opportunities really um, because mm. we have so many fantastic young players talking about being used to music uh, i i grew up in a smaller town in northern sweden and and there was a story about a, a big orchestra coming to that town a classical orchestra and and the the concert hall was filled uh, with people and the orchestra played this really really um, strong piece then suddenly it was all quiet in the middle and when it became quiet you could hear a woman shouting to the woman beside her screaming I am frying my meatballs in butter okay (laughs) so that's also a way of going to a concert, maybe. So, since you're so young and already have done so much, do you feel that you're very fortunate or lucky? Do you feel that you have done everything too early, that's nothing exciting left to do? How, how do you feel? No, I definitely feel super, super lucky. Um, I have a lot of uh, things that I want to do, of course, and then dreams, places where I want to play, and then the orchestras that I want to play with, and things I want to record, and, and so on. I feel very lucky to have been given um, opportunities to get these opportunities, really, just to explore different repertoire and to have recorded 
some stuff and uh, I feel I feel lucky also to be able to do what I really want to do and mm. start to have that as a job so you still have dreams and and something to work towards yeah, definitely yes yeah. So you have really, really practiced a lot to become the musician that you are and being in, in the place in society that you are. But it's not for everyone to get to the place where you are. I mean, th- there's just so much room for, for just a few that can be so successful. Um, so in this context, have you met any jealousy that people think that you shouldn't be there? Because we, we have a word in Swedish called jante. Which means that don't think that you are anything. Is that anything that you have experienced at all? I, I think in this case, I have also been very lucky to have such great people and, and friends around me. Of course, I mean, you know, we, we're humans. I guess there will always be some sort of jealousy. Maybe not between friends, but you will always meet someone uh, eventually at some point. Of of course, I I've experienced it, but but not not really you know nothing nothing really bad and i can't even think of it because i've always had such a supportive environment really musicians we're in this same boat we all want to do well and i mean it's it's just so important to be supportive of each other we all love music really and we want this classical music to to stay to stay with, with us as, as long as possible but there's a lot of stress associated with with being a musician and there's a lot of repertoire and a lot of things to learn and a lot of practicing but you, you are supportive of, of one another it makes this whole thing a bit easier it, it's great to be around supportive people you said some really important things maybe you didn't even realize it um, but there are some things that i would really like to forward to all the people listening to this having pain uh, or listening to this outsmart the pain podcast because you said something really really important first of all you said i can't really think of that which means that you do not have to dwell on this if anyone is jealous well move on Um, and the other thing that you say is that you need a supportive environment And I I mean, that is so important for people with persistent pain. Um, So the way that you are working with your music is actually the same way that people with persistent pain can work with their pain. Uh, Not to dwell on things that really doesn't help and get a supportive team around them. I was wondering, do you only listen to classical music or do you listen to other types of music? The thing with listening to, to that is uh, I, I, I feel like it's it's quite distracting <laughs> from whatever whatever other thing you do. You know, I always think about the, the technical aspects. If I'm, for example, listening to a violinist, I always think about about how they're playing or what they're playing and analyzing the music constantly if I... If I'm going somewhere or if I just want to relax or something, I definitely would put on something else. I don't really have a specific taste for other types of, of music. So if I understand, you don't listen to classical music all the time because then you need to analyze it because you hear things and it kind of stalks your brain. You know? And it, it was actually the same with me when I started as an anesthetist. You put a lot of catheters in uh, 
around the neck I realized that I was actually looking at people and their necks and thinking about it, if it would be easy to put catheters into their bloodstream or to you know, intubate them and get the tube down their throat. I was thinking about my job when I looked at people, which was kind of crazy. And probably the people thought I was a creepy guy watching their necks all the time. Uh, so I understand what you're saying about listening to music and having to analyze it. Yeah, it's it's nice to 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 relax. I guess that you have not experienced persistent pain more than you told us about your neck pain and with running it went away. But let's say that something happened and nothing serious, but something happens. So you really need to be away from performing or even practicing. Let's say you break an arm or get some kind of disease uh, and you're off for let's say 6 months. What would your thoughts be then if you're suddenly cut loose from what you do every day? What would you do? I think it would maybe be nice the first few days, you know. It was like it was like during the pandemic. It was uh, nice to be at home for a few days at first and and not having to think about uh, constantly playing. And I mean, I mean what I, what what can one do? I mean, I have to stay away from music, of course, uh, or from practicing. Um, I would definitely try to listen to concerts, maybe have some, I don't know, maybe try to, to learn something, something completely different. That was actually a trick question because you didn't know I was going to ask you that one. And the thing is that many people feel that they are getting away from their lives because they suddenly can't do what they've been doing before. And it could be athletes, top performances in any way, just anyone working out there. And suddenly that part is cut loose and they say they lose everything. But you actually didn't say that first. You said first it, it would be nice to be off for a few days. Now, that that's a really rewarding thing to do, to tell your brain that it isn't really that bad from the beginning. And then that you would actually do something completely different. So you would take the opportunity and use the time and, and not think, oh, I can't play. I can hear that between the lines. And I think that's so important because you're very young. Something could happen but you still have your mindset on what's good and what's not good for you. So that's really nice to hear. And I would like to forward that as well to my listeners that you need to have a second plan, a, a, a plan B. Uh, so um, believe it or not, you and you are uh, telling people uh, advice uh, more than you think in this talk. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. No, but I mean, of course it, it would depend also on, I mean, how long, if, if you know that you are able to come back after after some time, you have to look at, it, at the bright side. But mm. I mean, I, I guess one has to think also about, you know, life moves on, you have to do something else. I, I know many musicians that have had this issue already. They had to take breaks and, and come back. And so mm. um, I guess uh, hopefully it will... It won't be a problem in the future. Do you have any immediate plans, something really exciting that you will do now or in the near future? I'm playing actually actually next week. Uh, I don't know when, when this will, will be aired, but, but I'm playing in a few days. We just spoke about Stenhammar, the 150th uh, uh, anniversary. I'm playing in, uh, in concert in, here in Stockholm. I've, I've, uh, two small pieces with the orchestra, uh, really beautiful uh, romances. And then also the, the sonata I'm playing. That's next week. That's what I'm what I'm practicing for. Is there anything we could tell the audience out there about you or classical music, or did we cover it all before we wrap this up? 
I mean, it feels like we we really dug deep into some some uh, things. So uh, I yeah, I feel very happy. Thank you for mm-hmm. for having me. Well, I'm so happy to talk to you. It hasn't been easy to find the time. You seem to be a very very busy uh, young man. Uh, but I wish you all the best in the future. Now that you're not superstitious. Thank you. All the best to you. Thank you. And for everyone out there, be well and prosper. Mm-hmm.